Limerick Today with Joe Nash on Live 95. Now, Laura Lynn Ireland's Children's Hospice. It's celebrating a decade of care this week, marking 10 years since the opening of Laura Lynn House. 84 children and their families from the Limerick region have received care and support from Laura Lynn. Joining us is uh, Limerick mum Orla Murphy, along with Laura Lynn CEO Kerry McCleverty. And you're both very welcome. Uh, Kerry, I'll get to you in just a moment. But uh, first of all, uh, Orla, good morning. You've chatted to us before, of course, on the show. But just remind us about your little boy, Kean. Born about, I think, nine years ago um, with a huge load of complications that most of them, we still don't know why exactly they happened. And um, he was in Crumlin for 21 months prior to going home and we got linked in with Laurelin um, maybe about a couple of months after we got home. Um, I had asked about it um, when we were in Laurelin and actually, ironically, heard about Laurelin when I was working in Milford Hospice where I worked as well as a care nurse when I was pregnant into a key and never thinking that I was actually going to end up in the service myself with my child but anyway um, and um, so we got linked in with Laurelin because I knew that I wouldn't be able to do it constantly all the time 24 hours a day without um, some kind of bit of break and um, we got referred and um, we went through the assessment procedure and we started going to Laurelin about maybe seven years ago so um, and when you go originally you kind of really don't know what to expect when you go into Laurelin um, because you think it's a hospice, which it is obviously, but um, it's just so colourful and bright and full of love and fun and you get to stop for a while. Right. And of course it, it's one part of what has been just a remarkable journey for Kean and for you and the family isn't it? Oh, like Kean is is kind of amazing. Like he, he is actually. I know it sounds most people think oh, the child's a miracle, but actually he is. He had a tracheostomy and a ventilator for six years, which is the thing in his neck that helps you breathe. He arrested I don't know how many times, five times in front of me, which never leaves you, unfortunately. And um, and only last weekend he made his first holy communion. So. You know, to be honest, my mother asked me, I think when he was a couple of months old, will he go to school? I was like, I, I don't know. Will he make his first communion? I was like, I don't know if he lived till next week. Like, <laughs> So to be honest, for him to make his holy communion when he absolutely adored every single second of it, it was it was very surreal, but so special. You know, yeah. to think they even got that far. You know, I, I was always convinced he died by the age of seven for some bizarre reason. But he's here now, still quite uh, happy in himself. Uh, and by the way, was his communion day affected by the pandemic, the date of it and all oh, of that? Oh, God almighty. Three times. He was like an antichrist. So, um, yeah, so eventually he got to make it and he was in his element and the suit fitted, thank God. Um, but um, so that was um, fun in itself. But um, the joys of being on growth hormone, um, you don't grow too much. So the size seven fit a nine year old. But um, so he was just in his element. He it was just such a special occasion because he was in St. Gabriel's and all those little kids have their own little story to tell and they walked up the aisle and it was just so amazing to see because some of them, you know, took so long to walk. Like Ian was five before he took his first steps and had a walker and now is walking independently and like 
that kind of achievement for any child is just super. But to see your own child who you thought would never walk or would never talk, he didn't talk until he was seven. You know, he, he had Bob, that's it. We didn't have anything else. And that was only for for short lengths of time. But he had no, he didn't cry. He didn't laugh. Like he laughed, but you couldn't hear anything. You couldn't hear him cry. You can hear him say, mom, you can hear anything at all for nothing for seven years nothing at all so to hear him talk and ask him you know making his holy communion to to take it into his mouth it's just enormous everything about it was just amazing no it really does sound it i'm chatting to orla murphy uh, about kian uh, he's super bright isn't he oh he's desperate he'd drive you cuckoo he'd be asking fifty thousand million questions of what you did every day and I thought I'd never get sick of him talking, but sometimes you're just like, please stop. But um, he, he, he knows, I suppose when people look at a little child who's got extra special needs and has got a tube in his belly to help him, you know, feed and, you know, can't walk that well and can't run and can't do lots of things, but there's lots of things he can do. But, um, I mean, you, you can give him your date of birth and he'll tell you what day of the week your birthday falls on. Like, so he's like, I'll show you. I'm not stupid. So he is very clever. He remembers every single thing you can forget nothing in our house no one's birthday n- not when I'm working anything so he, he like he is very clever um, and then you know you you realise like that while all his complexities and all his surgeries and all his upcoming surgeries that there's still a little boy underneath all that insanity of medications and drugs and watching him and making sure he's okay and doesn't fall and giving him extra things that, you know, ultimately he's a little boy who just wants to live his life like everyone else. Yeah, yeah, of course. And talk to me then about his relationship with his younger brother. Oh yeah, like they get on, they get on fine. Um, You know, Oshin is very good with him. Um, You know, they kind of they're starting to kind of um, argue a little bit, which is really nice to see in one way, even though it's a little bit head wrecking in another. But really nice to see that it it can be a normal relationship and they can have fun together. And Agushin is quite aware in one way, which is kind of hard as a mother to watch that that his brother is different and his brother does get sick and his brother could like we haven't really discussed it much but that he could potentially die but I mean it's not something that we talk about you know to Tosh he's only five but he knows that his brother gets sick and he said to me today Kean had to go to the hospital again mom and dad on Tuesday for a hearing appointment and last week the week before he had to go into hospital for a four hour appointment and he was like why is he going again and why is this happening and why do I have to go to my auntie's house while I'm minded so it does affect his little life because other people don't have that where they, you know, their their brother has to go to hospital for appointments or has to go up to Dublin or, you know, their mummy has to go away for a little while and that, that I have to be with Cian and that he has to stay with his dad or go to his auntie's house, which we're very lucky to have that support. But it's it's something that does impact your whole family that you do you do end up going off on trips and, and, and there's nothing you can do about it. You just have to do it and you have to split yourself into two and not try and feel incredibly guilty about it, but that's just the way life is. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Orla, how rare is Kean's condition? Um, he doesn't actually have a diagnosis, Joe, so um, uh, we have gone for genetic testing and stuff. So he has an underlying con- condition called hyperpaturitism, which is um, 
a little small um, gland in your body called your pituitary gland and it controls your hormones. So he's missing one side of that. So the bit that controls your cortisol levels, so your fight or your flight. So when you and I get up in the morning, our body produces cortisol. Keen's doesn't, so you have to supplement it. So we have to get up in the morning to give medication and he's on um, an injection at night time. So it, it, it's not that rare, really. Um, like lots of kids in Ireland have it, but then Keen has the other complications of um, reflux where he's his uh, esophagus had been damaged and is precancerous, so he had to have an operation last year to prevent esophageal cancer, which is kind of insane for a nine-year-old. But it just had to be done and that just creates other few bits that have to be done on a daily basis. You have to vent him and then you have to make sure he goes to the bathroom regularly, that he doesn't go into bowel obstruction and it's just, there's a lot and he's got a cardiac condition that has been repaired but he will, he does have a hole in his heart and that has to be replaced maybe in another year or so so he's, you know, appointments for that and he's got something wrong with his feet so it's just, there's a load of stuff underneath the actual diagnosis and then his overall diagnosis we haven't a clue like it's the blind leading the blind really so he has one thing and then he's another thing and they're not connected to that so you have to kind of watch all of those things and so it's sorry. kind of constant and, and your home is a mini hospital really isn't it um it used to be um kind of mental um you used to have um downstairs he used to sleep and we used to have nurses at night time which a lot of kids who go to Laurel Lane would have that and they'd have nurses at night time and while it's great um because when your child sleeps um originally when Kean had his trachea in his vent we couldn't sleep because it might come disconnected and the tube could come out like Ushin pulled out the tube a couple of times he pulled it out in LD one day Eric had to put it back in <laughs> um, when he was getting some milk so um you know when when we used to go out with Key and we used to have like ambu bags, suction catheters, you know, um, resource, basically a resource trolley used to come with us when we go out. Now it's much easier. We do have an emergency bag that we bring everywhere with us with emergency hydrocortisone. If he fell off his bike, you know, he might need um, emergency hydrocortisone because otherwise he could go into a crisis, which means that he could go unconscious and die. <laughs> Sounds very dramatic, but that's the reality of our life. So at home at the moment, we have syringes and feed and medications and um, you know um, uh, I suppose a, um, a few other bits that a normal house wouldn't have you know um, and that you always have to have them in the house you just have to have them and if you don't have them you just have to go and get them so in in that respect it's easier um, feeding pumps and that kind of stuff and you know if the electricity went off so we're on like the grid of the ESB that if the electricity went off we'd get it first back because originally when Kean was on a ventilator if the ventilator went off you had a battery life of like four hours so if the vent went off and stayed off he would go into a respiratory rest and also die so the end result is a lot of dying going on but we thankfully he'd been very lucky and that hasn't happened but a lot of kids in Laurel Inn who go there they are completely um, dependent on things like that like oxygen and you know electricity and while it's an inconvenience to a lot of us um, for a lot of kids that go it's life support Nice and we're chatting to Orla Murphy from Limerick about her son Kean, and I mentioned that the CEO of the Laurel Lynn Hospice Kerry McCleverty is also on the line Hi Kerry Good um, morning Joe. Hi Orla um, well, Hi Kerry I, I, I almost think you probably don't have to say very much maybe about what you do and the importance of it having listened to what Orla said there 
Absolutely. I, I, I could never put in, in, in as much words, uh, but, but I think Orla has outlined really clearly. I think the, the impact that Laurelin has for families in terms of, if nothing else, I suppose the break that we can give them. I mean, you can hear the hectic schedule that many of our families have on a daily basis. And I think part of what Laurelin tries to offer is, I suppose, space where, you know, parents in particular can just switch off from being a nurse or a doctor and, and just focus on being mum and dad for a while and, and leave the caring to, to us at Laurelin. So I think that's a, a very key element of what we can offer to families because it's not just about care for the child, it's care for the whole family and, and brothers, you know, sisters, grandparents, everyone, I suppose, is part of the care that we offer at right. Laurelin. Um, uh, so what piece does Laurelin cover then for a family like the Murphys? Just explain that, what exactly you do for them. So uh, in, in, in very broad terms, I suppose, the, the, we have a range of, of services and, and everything, I suppose, is tailor-made to the needs of each family. So any family that gets referred into Laurelin, first of all, gets holistic needs assessment, which will, I suppose, focus on what are their specific needs, looking at all of the family. So for example, um, every year we would offer 15 nights um, of respite um, every year to each family um, who come into Laurelin. And then when, when you come in, you have access to so our team of, um, of specialists. So they would provide specialist symptom management if any particular um, symptoms would be escalated or, you know, say they were having problems sleeping or feeding. They have access to our family support team. So a range of physiotherapy, occupational therapy, play therapy, music therapy, our chaplain, our dietitian. So a huge range uh, of services as well as um, our psychologist available for support around bereavement care. Uh, and obviously then we provide the specialist end-of-life care for families when, when the need may arise. Right. Um, and I know you obviously have HQ in Dublin, but you're looking to expand into Munster. That's right. Um, so I suppose we've celebrated a, a big anniversary this, this week, um, being 10 years, but uh, and we've looked back, I suppose, with pride in, in all that we've we've done so far. But we also know that there's still so much that we need to do. Um, I think, and the big thing for us is we know that uh, there are about 75% of the families who avail of Laurelin currently come from the, the greater Leinster region. And that's purely down to, to, to geographical, um, I suppose, limitations. We know the, the difficulty, and I'm sure Orla can attest to all the, the different things that you have to pack up uh, when travelling with, with a sick child. And I suppose the, the burden that that puts on having to come along to access the hospice in Dublin. So when we were looking at our strategy in 2019, one of the key things that we wanted to do was to try to bring care closer to home for families. So we would look at bringing elements to our family support services, our in-home respite and our in-home end-of-life care and symptom management. How could we bring that closer to families living that bit further away from Dublin? So that's pretty much what we're aiming to do. And, and when we look at so the numbers of families and where children with life-limiting conditions are estimated to be, Munster made the, the, I suppose the, the next best place for us to focus our okay. attention. So you're going to have a premises in Cork? That's right. Um, so we're, we're currently working with all of the different stakeholders. So I should say palliative care uh, for children in Ireland is hugely collaborative and Laurelin is just one part of the of the jigsaw, if you like. So we're currently talking to all of our stakeholders and all of the different providers um, in Cork to see how we can collaborate in providing this care. Okay. Um, Orla, just one other question. Um, you mentioned you were a nurse by profession. Uh, has that helped you overall with Kean or, or not? 
Um, <clears throat> sorry, yeah, it has. It has. It, in fairness, I, I'm not sure if he'd be alive <laughs> if I wasn't a nurse because he was just hugely complicated. Um, like with a nurse, you, you, you know bits about a lot of things, but, um, and, and it's like doctors, like they are all specialized in, in certain areas like endocrine or, you know, orthopedics or whatever. So, I mean, I knew lots about it, little bits of things, but I mean, I, to be honest, I didn't know a huge about the endocrine system. So, if anything, it's helped my profession um, because I am much more uh, efficient with um, lots of different areas um, pertaining to key in. But it definitely helps because you have your, your basic observational skills that you can use. And like he and he was just so sensitive to things um, like changes in medications and stuff and having hypoglycemic attacks and stuff. And I think that... I don't know, like, look, people say God picks you for a reason and all that stuff. I don't know if I really believe any of that. I think um, it just kind of happened and was just kind of a fluke. But I think I was very fortunate to be a nurse because I was able to look at things differently. And I suppose the home care packages are different now than when when we had a home care package with Kean. Um, we don't have nursing support anymore. We have six hours a month. Um, but um, from from um, Enable Ireland, and and that's it. We don't have anything else other than Laurelin. So um, so you're you're kind of doing a lot of that on your own. Um, so you have to be an organizer, administrator. You have to be able to give meds. You have to be able to change tubes. You have to be able to do an awful lot of stuff that um, a lot of parents they just have to learn how to do. And I suppose I had the basic skills to, to be able to do a lot of that stuff. So giving medications isn't something that would phase me like my husband had to learn how to do it and he had to learn how to change a tracheostomy and you know put one in a little when um the child um the the one-year-old pulled it out like so i mean you you learn and you learn how to look after your child to the best of your ability but it does help but obviously it's not a requisite i mean you know they don't go we'll pick you because you're a nurse and we won't pick you because you're not a nurse yeah, it, of course, yeah. like it doesn't make a difference yeah. you just get what you get you can't give them back like well yeah. you can but we didn't but um you know what I mean. But, but, but finally then, um, in terms of reaching out to Laura Lynn, the fact that they're going to have a premises in Cork, which is that bit nearer to families in, in Limerick, and I, I presume you, you you just find them and, and you go and ask for help, really, Orla? Well, well, exactly, you do. You learn through other parents, and when you go to Laura Lynn, you get to speak to other parents because they're the only ones who really get it. And, um, I mean, Laura Lynn, I mean, even during the lockdown, you know, we used the services, and we went up in, when it was level five, and they had opened their services, and... Um, and we use them for symptom control, whereas your GP, they'd know a little bit about stuff, but they wouldn't have the same um, extensive background that Laura Lane would have. And they have, you know, they have a palliative care nurse who can give you advice over the phone and talk to the GP and say, this is what I recommend. And those services are just you know, paramount when you, you, you really don't know what to do, where to go and who you can talk to. And um, they're there at the end of the phone and go, look, this is what we do and this is where it works. And, um, you know, they can liaise with um, your GP who wouldn't be familiar with some of the medication that, you know, a child with a life-limiting condition would need. So you do have that backup and they have a phone service that you can ring and go, look, I, I don't know what I'm doing here. Can you give me a hand and can you tell me what to do? And, um, and you know, that they can help you with that. And that's the kind of service that that you need. So, I mean, the fact that it would be based in Munster, they would have, I'm assuming, the same kind of services as well. Um, and, you know, I mean, 
like it's such a huge area, Munster, uh, and it would be such a, a great benefit to have home care that will come out to your house and like give the nurses advice of what to do. Because initially, you, and really are, you're like the blind leading the blind. You're just kind of hoping you're, you're, you're winging it for a lot of it and you're hoping yeah. that what you do is, is of, of help and you really can do with any guidance because, you know, I mean, they're precious little kids and, and I know it can be very difficult for people to hear about children having a life-limiting condition and you know, sometimes you might think, oh God, help us, they don't know any better. But that's not enough of a reason to give them the best chance they can. They deserve it just like everyone else. They deserve to have a childhood and a life and anything you can give them is always a bonus and a help. All right. Well, listen, um, great to talk to you, Orla. Thank you very much for that this morning. We really do appreciate it. That's uh, Orla Murphy telling us there about Kian and the rest of the family, of course, and also the CEO of Laura Lynn, uh, Kerry McCleverty. They're going to have a premises uh, in Cork covering Munster uh, next year, but they're still available to you if you just go online and uh, find Laura Lynn, Ireland's Children's Hospice. Thank you as well. Limerick Today with Joe Nash on Live 95.